I'm going to read a passage, not the context of it. Last Sunday I read it. I'm going to read it again. But the phrase that's used here to describe Jesus is an amazing phrase, and it's only given out of this passage out of Isaiah 19, verse 20. It says, and it will become a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they will cry to the Lord because of oppressors, and he will send them a savior and a champion, and he will deliver them. We have Jesus as a savior. We know him as our Emmanuel, God with us, but God is saying he's also a champion. And as a champion, you can have the right reflexes, the reflexes I call a champion's reflex, because that which lives on the inside of you, God called him a champion. That means you have a champion living on the inside of you. That means you can have the right reflexes when offense comes, problems come, situations come against your capacity to understand them in the natural, that which on the inside comes greater and gives you the proper response and the reflex, because I'm looking at champions today. Aren't you glad he lives on the inside of us? Well, let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. We're trusting you to help us to have the proper reflexes, the reflexes of a champion. In Jesus' name and all God's men and women said... Amen. You can be seated, and would you give the worship team one more round of applause? Thank you, worship team. They'll be back shortly, and they'll close out with a wonderful song. Have you ever thought about having the right response and responding right, but then you realize after you responded, you didn't have the right reflex? In other words, something came your way, a situation or circumstance, and you just didn't have right reflexes, a quick reflex. It reminds me of the story of the boxer. He was training. He was, he was getting ready to fight, and he was going to go into the ring. He was going to fight, and this was his first professional fight. He had been training. He had been an amateur. He'd been doing really good, but this was a major fight. It was a professional fight, so he's training. He's getting ready, but his reflexes weren't very good. He's a little bit older, and so he gets into the ring. It's the big fight, and round one, they come out. They square off, and I'm telling you, the the opponent just began to hit him, hit him, hit him. I mean, blacked his eye, caught him on the chin, and he goes back to the ring. The bell ringed, and his, his trainer, who was an encourager, says, Champ, he didn't lay a glove on you, champ. No punches hit you, champ. You're doing great. Round two, same thing. He wasn't responding, reflexing right. Again, he was getting clocked here, hit there, and bell rung. He goes back to the ring. His, 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 his ring guy, he, you know, he begins to talk to him. Nobody laid a glove on you, champ. You're winning this fight after round after round. I mean, now his eye is swollen shut. His lips are bloody. He's, he's being told by his trainer, not a glove has been laid upon him. And finally, out of pure exhaustion, he turned to his trainer and said, would you shush up? There's somebody in the ring beating the snot out of me. If it's not the opponent, then check the referee. In other words, somebody was clocking him and he hadn't had the right reflexes to dodge those punches. Do you know the enemy is trying to clock you? He wants to take you out. He wants to rob, kill, steal, and destroy. And you have to have the right reflexes to dodge the enemy. And that's where you and I get to this place where we have to have that champion reflex who lives on the inside of us. I love the book of Acts because the Bible 
Bible tells us out of Acts that this amazing event happens in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost comes. And when Pentecost comes, we have this biblical right as all believers of every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue to say, greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. Why? Because because of Christ going to heaven and at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us, we now have the Holy Spirit. And upon our confession of the Lord, that Holy Spirit, that champion, lives on the inside of us. Now we have this biblical right to say, greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. Because now this champion lives on the inside of us. That's Acts chapter 2. But Acts chapter 3 is a day after this amazing experience. It's a day after when when you get an experience and now you got to go back to work. You got to go back to taking care of the kids. But Acts chapter 3 shows us because of faithfulness, it makes us available to God. I think faithfulness is so important. It's God's calling card. It's not the greatest displayed on social media. It's not the parade to to make you in the front of the road and and give you the, the accolades. But faithfulness is attractive to God. That's why authenticity is attracted to God. Jesus said something amazing in his passage. He said, if you're faithful in the little things, I can make you ruler over many things. But then he said something after that that I find wonderful because he says, if you're faithful in the little things, I've made you ruler over many things. He says, enter now into the joy of the Lord. Isn't it amazing that your faithfulness is a result, your result of faithfulness is joy? That when you experience a faithful life, you get the joy as the reward of living a faithful life. That means you're available. The level of your Uh, relationships are all account on availability. How are you available? Are you available to be used of God in the small things, in the day-to-day? Because champions are not made in a day. Champions are made in the daily. It's in the faithfulness of God. And that's when you and I become faithful. The story is told out of the book of Luke, chapter 2, about a man named Zacharias uh, who was faithful in his, his things of God. He was faithful to do what God called him to do. He was on the list to go burn incense and be the priest for that day for the atonement of Israel. And the Bible says something amazing. He was on the list, so therefore he was just, he was just going to do his faithful duty, like many of us do when, when we come to church or we, we, we work, and even though the boss is not there, or even though you know, nobody's around to, to give us accolades, but we do what we're supposed to do because we're faithful people. That's Zechariah. He's faithful. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And the Bible says something amazing out of that passage. While he's doing what he's supposed to do of being faithful, the Bible says the people out in the courtyard, if you will, they were praying. They were petitioning God. And I think that when you're faithful and when you mix that with prayer, extraordinary things begin to happen. Isn't it amazing that if you just stay faithful, it can get boring, it can get routine. You know what a rut is, don't you? A rut is both is a grave with both ends kicked out of it. That's a rut. Many people, they get into the day-to-day life and they get into a, they get into a rut. And it's, it's important to know that Life does come with consistencies and ruts, if you will. 
But there's some ingredient that you need when you get into those day-to-days, and that ingredient is called prayer. Because prayer takes the ordinary day-to-day life and makes it extraordinary. The Bible says they were out there praying, and as a result of his faithfulness mixed with prayer, an angel shows up. How many of you would like to be praying and God sent an angel to show up on your behalf? Would you like that? I think that would be pretty cool. But you got to get out of your mind that these angels are these cute, cuddly, fat little babies with halos and pampers on. Every time an angel shows up on the scene, people fall to the ground as though they're dead. So the next time you ask for an angel and God shows you an angel and he shows up on your behalf, guess what? You're going to be the one needing the pampers. Trust me. Because angels are bad, especially warring angels. And this man, because of his faithfulness and mixed with prayer, he gets an angel and the angel says to him, I heard your petition. God has heard it and he's granted it. What was the petition? To have a child. They were older. His wife, Elizabeth, they were longing for a child and God granted them this wish because of his faithfulness mixed with prayer. It took the ordinary day-to-day rut and turned it into extraordinary. I love what Andrew Murray said. Andrew Murray said, and I've quoted it many times. He says, when you work, we work, but when we pray, God begins to work. I like that because it was A.W. Tozer who said, talk to God about men before you ever talk to men about God. And when we are faithful and when we are available, you mix it with prayer. Life that could be boring and routine and mundane, now it becomes exciting. Because if you don't pray, life is boring. If you do pray, now something opens up and it can be exciting. Your prayers can get answered. A petition that's made can have a result of your blessing and your prosperity coming because you prayed. Prayer is the key. It unlocks the storehouse of God's grace and God's power. Do you know all that God is and all that God has is available to everyone who would pray? That's why many people spiritually, emotionally, and even financially, they're in constant distress because they've never learned to pray. The disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray, which tells us there's a right way and a wrong way to pray. So how do you pray? Prayer is never overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of the Father's will. God wants you to not pray boring prayers and not live a routine, rut-driven life. He wants you to become bold to that throne room of grace and learn to pray bold prayers. Some of you are just praying get-by prayers. Oh, Lord, please just help my children. And that's good. Lord, just protect me. Give me enough to make ends meet. But don't you know you serve a supernatural God who wants to give you exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, think, or imagine. I love this passage of scripture out of the book of Psalms chapter two, out of the message translation. I'm talking about praying bold prayers. God says in the writing in the book of Psalms, he says, let me tell you what God said next. He said, you're my son slash that daughter. He said, and today is your birthday. Hey, today's your birthday. What do you want? He says, name it. Nations as a present, continents as a prize. You can command them all to dance for you. You know, there's something about when it's your birthday. There's an excitement that comes. You know, when you're a younger, and that's why, you know, birthdays in the Stillman household, they're like a month long. And when it's my birthday, it's in April. You ever notice if you've been around, the birthday is never the specific day. It's always the month of April. That's because I'm a kid and I'm always asking for stuff. It's because it's my birthday. 
That's why I go to every place that's free when it's birthday time. I'm like, yes, I'll take that free drink. Yes, I will. I want that. Yes, I want that Sunday. Make sure it's got a cherry on top. Why? It's my birthday. There's something about when it's your birthday. You can spend the rest of the year kind of just playing. No, I don't, I don't really think that. I, I, you know, Lord knows I don't need that. But something about when it's your birthday. It's interesting passage that God uses. He says, hey, it's your birthday. Why don't you take that childlike heart of yours and start asking me bold prayers and start believing for my promises? How about nations for your inheritance? How about paying your house off and paying somebody else's house off? How? about getting prosperous and being in good health? Why don't your soul become prosperous? See, God wants us to pray bold prayers. Come boldly to the throne room of grace. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations if you'll just believe my promises. I think if we don't pray, we're boring. I think life is boring when you don't pray. I pray every morning, and then after that, I don't know what could happen that day. You never know the blessing of a phone call, the blessing of somebody doing something, the blessing of me doing something. I pray every day, God, let me be a miracle answer to somebody. Let me give a word in season. Let me give something to somebody that they need. Let me challenge that person, encourage that person. I never have read in the Bible while they were reading angels showed up. But while they were praying, something began to happen. The reason they're not having revivals across America is because the church in America is not praying. They're not interceding. We have to be willing to take the risk. They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the champion that lives on the inside of us. So take the risk. When you pray, believe God for the extraordinary. Believe God for his promises. Believe God for that child. Believe God for that miracle because God is a miracle working God. I, I want to slow it down for a minute because I read a passage out of the Old Testament this last week that really blew my wig back. So, okay, I'll try this out over here. You look friendlier. I did something when I was reading this passage on what it means to pray, because if you're like me, especially a type A driven person, you want everything fixed and you want it in the manner in which you're asking for it. So in other words, when you see an issue, when you're a problem solver person or a personality, when you see an issue, you immediately want to fix it. That's why sometimes I've learned after being married uh, to Jennifer 18 years, I realize now, but it took me a lot of years that she doesn't need me to fix anything sometimes. She just needs me to say, whatever you need, honey, whatever you want, I'll buy you, whatever it is. Uh, and just listen, not try to fix the situation. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about there. Sometimes the men want to say, I can fix it. I can fix it. Let me get it. Let me fix it. But there's something to be said about that personality. It's a great trait of God. It's needed. But I read something about prayer this week out of the Old Testament that I think all of us need to have this prayer life out of Ezra chapter 9. It's an Ezra 9 prayer life. Ezra is a prophet of God. Ezra was taken captive in Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel in the book of Daniel. And Ezra was taken captive and he was away from Israel, away from his family. And when he came back after he was freed, he came back to Israel and he found there in Israel something that broke his heart. He found that the people of Israel, those that have been away from God, those who have been uh, led astray, he found that they had been immoral to God, that they've turned their back on God. 
and they started bringing in pagan gods and pagan people from the uh, Amalekites, the Hittites, and all the other termites in the Old Testament. They were, they were intertwining with all these pagan things. And Ezra, the priest that comes out of Babylon with Daniel, he sees this happening. He sees this thing going on as this intermingling with all this paganism, and it breaks his heart. And all of a sudden, what happens out of Ezra 9.3, he says, when I heard about the matter, Ezra says, I tore my garments and my robe, and I pulled the hair out of my head. That's why you can always tell an intercessor, because they're bald. It's true. I'll be here all day, folks. But verse 5 is the key. Verse 5 is amazing out of Ezra because verse 5 says, At the evening offering I arose from my humiliation with my garments torn and my hair pulled out. And he fell on his knees. And the rest of verse 6 and beyond is this man, he's praying. He's praying. He's not confronting the people of the error of their ways. He's beginning to pray. That's why I said what A.W. Tozer said is so important and Andrew Murray is so important. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God begins to work. Now he's doing something that many of us don't do. He's talking to God about men before he talks to men about God and their error of their ways. He finds out the news and instead of confronting the people, what does he do? He prays for the people. I like that. It's an Ezra 9 life because I've done the opposite. I go after it and say, you know what? I can fix you and I can fix you. And if you would just listen to what I say, I will fix you and I'll really fix you because you're jacked up and I have the answer for you. But you know what I've realized, friends, after years of ministry that I can't fix anybody. I can't give them the words. If they don't want my advice, I can't give it to them because they're not going to do it anyway. What I have learned uh, throughout this day-to-day thing called life is sometimes you got to put them in the prayer box. you got to put them in the and giving them over to God. Isn't that hard to do as parents? Isn't that difficult to do as grandparents? Because we want to step in and we want to fix the situation. We want to fix the child. We want to fix the grandbabies. We want to fix our kids. We want to fix our coworkers. We want to fix our neighbors. Ooh, I'm going to fix them instead of praying about it. I had a situation just recently that I was reading this passage and a family in our church and I was praying and I and I even told Jennifer, I said, you know what, I'm going to tell them about that person that's trying to invade their life. I'm going to tell them that that person is a bad egg. I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell them, stay away from that person. And you know what? I found myself like many of you. I found myself wanting to tell them about this person, stay away. But you know what I did? I remember what Ezra did. And instead of telling them, I'm praying for them that God would reveal to them the truth of the matter. So I'm not going on record saying nada. All I'm doing is I'm praying and I'm giving it to God because God knows how to go after it. The Bible says he's praying. And all of a sudden, this large assembly of men women and children, they gathered together around Ezra. They wept bitterly and they said these words, we have been unfaithful to God. He never said a cotton, a word to them. And here he goes to God and he's talking to them. And you know what God does? God goes after them. We depend so much about our witnessing and our doing it and our telling them and our doing it and fixing the problem. God says, you can't fix this problem. All you can do, which is the greatest thing any believer can do is the power of prayer. Give it over to God and let God get after it. You know why? 
Because God knows our language. He knows the words that it takes to, to get after me. He knows the words it takes to relay things to you. He knows our language. Listen to me. God sends angels on the scene, or he'll send whatever it takes on the scene, even a donkey on the scene if it takes a donkey to start speaking. God will do whatever it takes to send the message and get the results he wants. God knows the angel. Uh, God knows how to speak. He knows the language. Isn't isn't it interesting, by the way, this is a side note, but it's interesting that in the New Testament, when Christ is coming on the scene, talking about knowing the language, God shows the shepherds in the field, what? Angels. Angels come to the shepherds in the field and they sing the words, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men of whom God is pleased with. That's Luke chapter one, verse 26. But it's amazing that the language changes with the Magi. The Magi, they don't see angels. They follow a what? A star. Two of you. The rest of you learn your Bible. They follow a star. God speaks to the Jewish shepherds with an angel because shepherds don't believe in astrology, but shepherds believe in the visitation of angels. Magis don't believe in angels, but magis believe in astrology. So God gives them a star. What's the point? God knows your language. He knows how to speak to you. He knows how to get a hold of you. And having a champion reflex is being faithful in the day-to-day -day and having the right response because you're not telling them and you're not telling them how to do it. You're praying for them. You're putting it in the prayer box. You're putting it in the journal of prayer. You're giving it over to God. You're talking to God about men before you ever talk to men about God. And that's the right reflex to have. And as we close our time this morning, there's another reflex that we have to have as a champion who lives on the inside of us is real Realizing that righteousness lives on the inside of us and righteousness opens up my future. The Bible tells us that Christ was made poor so we could become rich. Christ became the, the, the appropriation for sin so you and I wouldn't have to live in sin. The one who lives on the inside of us is called righteous. Righteous means as it ought to be by God's standards. God's standard of righteousness is not found in rules in a local church. God's standard, friends, of righteousness is not found in denominationalism or words spoken by somebody who does not have the mandate of the Word of God. Righteousness is not found in praying 10 hours a day or saying the right words of confession righteousness is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who lives on the inside of you. And righteousness opens up your future. That's important to know because we get told so many times, live for God, live for God, serve God, serve God, live right, live right, live right. But if you don't believe right, how are you going to live right? How are you going to live right if you don't believe right? Because if you're told to live right, without believing on those promises of God, your righteousness is being obtained by what you do. Then you're going to get to the next phase by, by the confessions you make, you'll be righteous. By the things you stay away from, you're going to be righteous. And friends, you're never going to stay away from enough things to be made righteous. You'll never pray long enough to be righteous. I found in my personal life, in the beginning of my believing in the Lord and His promises, because I watched other great men of God I thought that if I didn't pray enough, if I didn't confess enough, if I didn't stay away from 
certain things that, you know, then God, it's I'm righteous. But I had to learn what I'm asking you to do. I had to learn that what I do does not evaluate the righteousness standard. What I do is because I love the Lord. Not invoking my prejudice on anybody and calling it holiness. And not asking you to do what I'm not willing to do. But even if I'm going to ask you to do something, you might not be ready to take on that something because you're not in that place yet because God knows your language. But see, we get the opposite, right? I've got to confess more every time. And what happens when we live that way? When we live in that way, we don't realize we start spiraling. And we don't spiral upward. We spiral downward. Because now we're... Man, I'm not, I'm not doing enough. I'm not talking enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not, I feel like I've messed up and I feel like my hands are not, and I, and I now, I'm living in this place of, I think I could navigate and have a, a thermometer of what righteousness is and what righteousness is not. And that's not how it happens. You're not righteous by what you do. You're not righteous by your confession. You're not righteous by your prayer life. You're righteous because of who lives on the inside of you, the champion of Calvary. He lives on the inside of you. So that gets me a place of rest. So I'm not, I'm not praying out of obligation. And I'm not living right out of obligation. I'm doing things because I'm believing right. And if I believe right, in turn, I will live right. So I don't have to facade it, act like it, and do all that stuff and put the religious garment on. And it's, it's just silliness because... Your flesh gets tired. Your spirit gets worn out. And you find yourself battling depression and anxiety and worry because you're trying to obtain something that you don't have the ability to keep and obtain. You can't keep righteousness. You can only embrace the Son of God. And when you embrace the Son of God, He is righteous. And He lives on the inside of you. So therefore, if God wouldn't live on the inside of anybody that He didn't think was worthy, And so he already called you worthy. He already said, I got hope for you. I got plans for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a bright future. I've got something for you. That's what righteousness does. It opens up the future. Because God's given you a magnificent birthright. He's given you a calling. He's given you something fantastic. You know, I... I have certain clothes that I like to wear. I'm not a clothes horse, but I got clothes that I like to wear. And, you know, I go to certain seasons and certain things I wear. You know, if, if I wear them, Jennifer would like look at me and go, oh, back to the 90s, huh? And I'm like, hey, you know, when you're buffed, you can get away with stuff. I'm like, yeah, backstreet is back. What's up? But some time ago, I had... I had a nice, you know, certain, especially men, wait, ladies too, but I'm speaking for men. You know, there's certain clothes you wear and, you know, you feel like, hey, I look good in this, right? I had this certain white shirt and, you know, it fit me right. It wasn't like what I was like, you know, shopping at Baby Gap. It was not like, you know, super tight, but yeah, you know, it, I'm looking good. And I'll never forget, Jennifer goes, when are you going to stop wearing that shirt? I'm like, I like my shirt. This is my white shirt makes me look good. Shows off the twinkle in my eyes, the glow of his glory. It's on me because of the white shirt. And she goes, that shirt's not white, it's beige. Like, you crossed the line, woman. The shirt is white. 
And you know what she did? She bought a white shirt. And she put the new white shirt up to my awesome anointed shirt. And you know what my shirt was? Beige. It was beige. See, that's what man-made rules will do to you. That's what the Pharisees were. They were walking around in these big robes talking about you need to do this, you need to give that, you need to stay away from this. They were walking around talking about how white they were, but somebody came upon the scene whose name was Jesus, and he was whiter than the whiter of snow, and everybody else was beige. And see, that's who lives on the inside of us. There's a birthright and a calling, and you have to realize it, not by what you do, but because of who you are. When you realize that, you'll square up your shoulder. You'll lift your head. You'll live, love, and be happy. God is with you. The champion lives on the inside. Can we stand together? There's a story in the Old Testament about this guy named Esau, and he, he had a, a birthright, and the birthright was the patriarch, ability to speak to the next generations. And this guy Esau, who was the firstborn, had this amazing right to speak to the next generation. But he did like so many people do. He got so involved in the day-to-day and so involved with his own personal stuff that he sold his authority to speak to the next generation away for a bowl of beans. He threw his voice away because of a temporary hunger issue. And it's like so many people do. They have this amazing calling and they have this amazing person living on the inside who is Christ, the champion. They have this wonderful birthright, the authority to speak to the next generation. And what do they do? They throw it away. They throw it away because of temptation. And temptation blinds us to the future. It never thinks about tomorrow. It's what I can have right now. That's what temptation does. It never thinks future. It only thinks now. But the scriptures tell us no weapon formed against us will prosper. Do you know every one of us have had weapons by the enemy formed against us? So what tempts me is not necessarily going to tempt you. So therefore, you can't qualify your temptation level by somebody else because the weapons have been formed against you, have been designed to tempt you and take you out. And they're not my temptation because I have different ones. You want to know what mine is? I'm not going to tell you. But you have and I have temptations. And we have to realize, though the weapon has been formed and fashioned, it doesn't have to prosper. It will not prosper because the hope of glory, the champion, lives on the inside. And when you realize you're calling and refuse to sell yourself short of some bargain rate, you have a high calling and you say, no, no, devil, not today. I'm not selling myself short. I have a high calling of God. I have a future. I have a destiny. I'm not going to sell my life out short and lessen my value. Friends, I don't think the enemy steals as much as we lessen our values because we lower our standards. Don't you dare lower your standards. Faithfulness makes you available to God. And take your routine life because Acts chapter 2 is not going tomorrow. You got to go to work. You can't yell in unknown tongues and run around the room. uh, they'll, they'll, They'll call the paddy wagon on you. 
you get these experiences of Acts 2, that's because Acts 3, you got to go back to the grind. But you're not going alone. You're going to have an opportunity to take your ordinary and turn it into extraordinary because of prayer. And you get to watch God open up your future because righteousness lives on the inside of you. You received that word today?